1: To find the one thing I have to do, welcome to the Washed Up Emo Podcast. In our ongoing search of why there is a revival, I've called on professionals. So we now welcome in writer David Anthony from the AV Club. David, welcome.
2: Hi. uh, (laughs) Thanks for having me.
1: (laughs) So I would love for the listeners and everyone to sort of a little bit background on you. um, And um, I'd love to know where you grew up and sort of Um, where you've seen.
2: Yeah, well, I grew up, uh, I'm originally from Northwest Indiana, uh, a city called Hammond. It's just next door to Gary, and that's kind of where I grew up and uh, cut my teeth, so to speak. Um, I was really lucky in the sense of uh, having a family that was really into music, so when I started getting into stuff and stuff, um, you know, more punk stuff, hardcore stuff, metal, they were really, really supportive. Um, My mom would... Drive me to shows at Fireside and like stand in the back of the room as I like was really excited. No as way a big kid about shows. Yeah, she was uh, really instrumental in like just getting me out there and like uh, even taking me to bigger shows. Like you know going to see bands play at the Metro and all that. So she was always really supportive of uh, allowing me to like kind of chase whatever I was interested in, and that was that was a huge thing um, for me and just being able to. Do that like we weren't very far from Chicago, like 45 minute drive and a short train ride. So uh, when I got to high school, I was just like me and my friends were driving up all the time, going to house shows, uh, doing this that and the other and doing. What, what years was this? Do, I guess. Um, I'm a bit younger than most, uh, but when I was, I would say the first show I remember seeing that like got me interested and like got me really over the moon about music was I saw Alkaline Trio in like 1998, um, which would have made me eight years old at the time. Uh, so. Wait, you yeah, went I was, and saw like,
1: a show when you were eight?
2: Yeah. Um, and your I'm mom you brought you
1: and your mom brought yeah, you.
2: Yes. Amazing. Yes, uh, so like I, to give you to back up a bit, um, I was, uh, like my mom was really into like Bruce Springsteen and Tom Petty and that kind of, you know, Americana, you know, rock kind of stuff, which I've now grown a huge appreciation for. One of my uncles was really into like early proto metal, like Black Sabbath, uh, Budgie, Gong, really weird psychedelic stuff. And then my other uncle was into, I guess you would say early punk rock. Like he really liked the Ramones, the Clash, social distortion. So when I was younger, you know, in the, in the mid nineties, like I, got a pretty big fascination into stuff like green day and Blink 182 like my mom owned dookie and i was like and i was like four years old and she would drive around and that would be on so like I, punk rock just seemed natural to me like there was an energy and excitement to it um so then like when i started getting into punk rock uh you can use air quotes around that um like i remember my uncle being like oh like well, here's the first Clash record, and here's the first Ramones record. And, like, after that, it was just, like, off. Like, I uh, just kind of, like, started trying to find stuff like that, um, going to local record stores. And uh, as luck would have it, I kind of happened myself into, like, an early-ish Alkaline Trio show and, uh, like, got really taken with them. Um, It was the first band I saw, like, play, like, on, like, a really – you know hastily put together stage and it kind of made me realize like oh like there's something else here and like this is something we can all do and after that like i just devoured their discography like went through the asian man stuff um which you know turned me onto the broadways and and uh you know later the lawrence arms i through that i got into hot water music and that turned me on no idea which then led to like stuff like braid and the promise ring from there so it was just kind of like a very natural like me and a couple friends, like, we were all really young, but really into music, and, uh, would just kind of, like, go through liner notes of stuff and be like, alright, this band is on this label, we should look into that, and this band thanks this band, or tours with this band, and, like, that's just how we discovered stuff, and, like, just mail ordering things and hoping they would show up a couple months later, and, and, and doing that whole thing. So I was, I was really young, but I just, like, Really was taken with it and had the support system that enabled me to do that. So, That's, you know, when I was like,
1: yeah. I love that. That is, I mean, it is the, it's exactly what we talk about. If you have, if, you know, a lot of the podcasts, we talk about sort of how bands found out you know, how these artists found out about bands and it was the liner notes. It was going to see the show and who opened and then you mean you just telling that Asian man turned into Lawrence Arms, turned into hot water music, turned into no idea, then went into like that's what you did and it's great that you sort of had that ride. Um
2: Yeah, I, I feel incredibly lucky because um, you know, as I'm twenty three now, I'm turning twenty four in like a week and, you know, I'm a young dude, but, like, I feel very, very lucky that I got to have the experiences of, like, doing mail order, and, you know, as cool as it is that everything is now a click of a mouse away, like, I just think there's an importance to that, like, there was an excitement to it that, like, uh, I never really felt towards anything else, like, I was active in sports and all that, but when I got into music, I was like, this is my thing, and I'm, I'm part of something, and I can be part of something, and there's so much more out there, and, I'd like to hope that never, never really stops.
1: Yeah. And then when did sort of the, when did the writing come about? When did that sort of take you and be like, wow, I could do this. This is, this is fun for me. Cause you, you know, you, did you, did you, were you in bands or was it kind of a, you were more of just the, in the audience and enjoying it?
2: Um, I did bands. I'm still like, I'm doing one even now. That's kind of like, you know, just kind of getting off the ground. But um, from like 13 years old, uh, until now, I've kind of always been doing bands. Um, the the first band I ever did, I was like 13. We like were a terrible like crust punk kind of band. Like it was really embarrassing. We never played a show. You but hear that, that everybody? He
1: said crust punk. He didn't yep. say punk. He said crust punk. Look it up. Yeah, like,
2: we were, you know, we, I was playing in a band with dudes who had, like, butt flat back patches and, like, studded <laughs> vests with, like, upside down American flags, like, total cr- Like, we were really into crass and conflict. Um, so yeah, like, I had my crust period for, like, a month. Uh, <laughs> so thanks for that against me. Um, and, uh, like, after that, like, um, when I was 15 I did my first real band which was my stepbrother played drums and like my best friend since the first grade played bass and we were just like let's just try and do this and for like a couple years uh we'd play shows here and there just like wrote terrible songs at the time but like that was the that was the opening point where it's like all right like um I can do this And, and immediately after that like fell in with some of my older friends and uh started playing and still do now Um, nothing super actively but I I had the realization in high school that like I loved music and it's what I wanted to do but I never felt comfortable like playing in shitty punk bands like to be able to make that a career and I didn't really want to like something about it felt weird to me call it like DIY kid guilt or whatever you want to call it (laughs) but I just I was just like I would never feel comfortable being like oh, I have to like go play a show or like write a song to pay rent, you know. Um, so I always enjoyed writing, and I got really into it in in you know I would say around 2000 2001 when I discovered Punk Planet, and that was really uh, huge for me. Um, seeing something where it's like this is involved. And writing about the community that I care about by people who are part of that community and care about it, and like this seems really interesting. And I just kind of from there was like, well, maybe that's how I can do. It. Maybe like I can be part of this and and still be active, but in a slightly different way. And, and that's kind of where that took from. And I just in high school uh, would would write as much as I could. Um, like was always taking you know, kind of, like, AP English kind of stuff, because, like, that's what I was focused on. It's like, this is what I want to do, and I want to see if I can do it. And, like, freelanced a lot, did a bunch of writing for free for a ton of places. And then in uh, summer of 2011, I interned for AV Local at the time and continued to freelance, got brought in part-time, got brought in full-time, and uh, now I'm here. So that's, that's uh, a long yet slightly abridged version.
1: No, but the, you're, tw- you're 23, almost 24, and you had a, a, a path that a 35-year-old did. So for you yeah. to still do that, you're definitely the last one. I don't think there's anybody after you um, that's going to have that, you know, you weren't, it it just the way that you told those things i mean that's how i found out about music it was you ordered from the rev catalog or you ordered from very distro and you hoped that the record was good you hoped that you yeah. whatever you picked based on the cover or it was referenced by another band you hoped that that thing was good and that, that's yeah great. like i
2: have such fond memories of like uh Like concealing cash in an envelope and sending it to Asian man yeah. like to, <laughs> to get like the Broadway's Broken Star and I think it was maybe I'll Catch Fire and like the first Alkaline Trio shirt I ever bought and like waiting three months and it came and I was like this is the best day ever like this thing actually showed up I thought I was just gone like I thought that like twenty dollars was gone and and that was an amazing feeling and. Like, I remember just, you know, mail ordering seven inches um, from No Idea, like, like trying to get everything Hot Water Music did because they were so prolific at the time. Um, so this is and, interesting. And yeah, just doing that.
1: Yeah, this is interesting, too, because of your age. And again, yeah. the, the, you know, what you were sort of into. And this kind of turns into why we are, we're sort of talking is about sort of the emo revival sort of happening now. But what about that if this was you know, the mid two thousands and you know, the hair metal phase was happening where, yeah. where were you sort of, what was happening then? And did you, were you just as sort of like, well, this sucks. Like I'm into all these bands and then there's like this, what was your sort of take being younger, but having the knowledge and the history of all these bands sort of, that were a little bit ahead of you?
2: Well, well, that's the interesting thing is like I was in high school. So that was like Oh four to Oh eight. And You know, I was playing in bands, and, like, I was just really taken with uh, everything even tangentially related to punk rock. So, like, whether that be crust, whether that be post-hardcore, whether that be traditional hardcore, whatever, like, I was, I wanted all of it. You know, I would buy, um, I I was, like, just doing my homework, and, like, it's, like, discovering Jawbreaker, which led to Jets to Brazil, which led me to, um, you know, the Jade Tree catalog and then Lifetime, could dynamite paint it black, you know, just like all of those kind of like I if I found a record I liked, I I'd know every I'd own the entire discography. Like I just had to.
1: You sound like and me. I had to, <laughs> Yeah.
2: Like I just had that obsessiveness and like and it's like, oh well this dude was also in this band, so I have to hear that band, I have to hear all their records and like it was just historical kind of. Um it was hyper nerdy. Um and that, that's just how I was and still kind of am. But to answer your question, Around that time, a lot of what was big, you know, like I was coming of age, I guess you'd say, like during the emo boom, um, you know, it was it was post um, Vagrant Records, you know, Dashboard was already huge. Here locally, Fall Out Boy was getting gigantic um, and, you know, that, that led to the My Chemical Romance and all this. And I'm not here mm-hmm. to like shit talk any of those bands. That's not at all my goal. But... Beyond that, there was like the really, it, it seemed like a lot of kids I went to school with were heavy into like the warp Tour metalcore scene of bands like Events Sevenfold and Atreyu and all this, that and the other. And they'd be like, oh, this is like the heaviest thing ever. And I'm like, well, have you heard Botch? Have you heard Dead Guy? Like, you, you know, like there's so much, like there's a better version of that. Like, just try and find it, you know? Um, Did we just like become best were...
1: friends? Because I always say that. I always say that when someone's like it's so heavy, I was like, you haven't heard Botch.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was like, well,
1: you haven't heard We Are the Romans, so I don't
2: know how to talk to you. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it, it was just that across the board, and it was super elitist. But like a, a great example is in high school, is that one uh, Fallout Boy was gigantic. They had that song, uh, Grand Theft Autumn, and. You know, like, all these kids were, like, way into it and singing it. I'm like, well, have you heard Braid? Like, that was the name of their label. Like, that's where they took that from. And, like, Braid, like, Framing Canvas is amazing. You know, I was just – that's where I was. And it it wasn't me trying to be, like, pretentious, know-all kid, which is maybe how I come off in the story. But it was just, like, I – like, I didn't understand why other people didn't want to do what I was doing. They I didn't they, understand why Because kids...
1: you saw the whole history of it. You saw why Fall Out Boy was naming it because of Braid. Like, you should listen to Braid. But they were only concerned about that one band.
2: Yeah, and, like, that's fine. And, I, and I, I'm more accepting of it now than I was then, where I was very much like, guys, like, there's so much, like... If you like this, you would love this band. You know? Yeah. It's like... It's like, how have you never heard Small Brown Bike? Like, this is incredible. And, yeah, like, so... You know, there was some disconnect there. And luckily, like, as I was coming out of high school, um, like, I met a, a stretch of some of my really best friends who were all about a decade older than me. So, like, they were all people who, to me, it felt like they got it. Like, I didn't have to tell them about Braid. I didn't have to tell them about Botch. Like, these were just the conversations we were having. And, and, you know, they got to see those bands when, like, I had no idea who they were. And I I learned a ton from them, you know, getting turned on to just, uh, you know, anything and everything. And, like, there were people who had a similar appreciation of, like, 80s hardcore and then shit like Nick Cave. So, like, wherever you fall on the spectrum, it's like they could show me something else. And that was really helpful and just it, it cemented in my mind that, like, this isn't just going to be a phase for me. Like these people are still active and still doing it and still excited. And like, I can be that. I just need to not, I just need to actually make the attempt at it. Yeah. And, and that's kind of where it went.
1: That's great. I love that. I, it, it For you to be able to have that experience, I thought, I was like the last one or people that were a little bit younger than me. You know, I've met a couple people that have come to the DJ night in New York city and they're younger and their knowledge of what had happened like blows me away. I mean, they ask for Raina Maria or they ask for, you know, these sort of hardcore bands or they're into cave and it's just great that they went and dug and found those things. So it's just great to hear that that sort of, you know, something that you just wanted to keep doing even through when you were supposed to be listening to, you know, those bands in the mid, mid-2000s mid that, you know, were supposedly what was happening in punk rock, in quotes. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and, like, I, I feel very lucky that, like, in my record collection, like, there's, I would say,
2: very little of that. Like, it, it, all that stuff, I was just, uh, there's no way to say this and not come off like a dick. But, like, I just felt like I was in a different path or or, or different whatever that like was like I would hear those things and like it already just kind of felt cheesy to me and and felt this ingenuous and like it wasn't a conscious effort of like oh I'm gonna be cool music guy it was just like this just doesn't appeal to me And, and I'm not gonna pretend it does like I'm gonna tell you why I think forever and counting is the best Record ever made, and just you're gonna have to deal with that. Yeah, you have no
1: clue what that means or what I'm about. <laughs> I love that. Um, I think that brings up, you know. The- now last year kind of that emo revival term was just brought around and it's the new dirty word just like emo always was um yeah, exactly. but this one's this one's a little funnier because you're you're talking about the older bands but then you don't want to have the name associated with it but you want to be your own band and you're a rock band in quotes i get it What's what what's your take on why it was last year and why it was such a big thing all across uh, the internet land it's interesting
2: uh I think because I was coming of age and, like, I was out of high school and I was going to college in Chicago and I was going to an art school, um, majoring in journalism. And there was an interesting thing that started to happen around that time is, like, I, I maybe identify the entire, like, revival thing, if you want to call it that. It's starting a little earlier than most just because it felt like that's so – it was so big here um, like, even back in Northwest Indiana, there were bands like Grown Ups and Native that were kind of doing um, vaguely emo-ish things. Like, uh, Grown Ups had a strong Ladderman vibe, but, like, you know, had a very intricate set of, you know, riffs that were, you know, just kind of overlapping. And the Native was so on the post-hardcore tip, and I was like, wow, like, it's cool to see all this stuff, like, happening so close to me. And then that brought in bands like Snowing. And, you know, before that, Street Smart Cyclist and uh, more bands have started to pop up in the city that, like, all kind of felt under that umbrella. Uh, you know, Cloud Mouth was going for a long while, had, like, a very heavy, um, I would say, early 90s Gravity record sound. Uh, and, and then, you know, people like Evan Weiss doing it over it, which was just acoustic for a while, you know. And it felt like everyone was into the same stuff but doing it a smidge differently. So
1: that was 2009.
2: I I would say about that. I'm trying to remember because I remember That sounds
1: about right because it is interesting that you say that they were all sort of doing different things because that's how you sort of felt with the hardcore scene. Some of them were post, some of them were straight edge bands, some of them were more indie, maybe it was yeah, more emo and exactly. like but they all sort of intersected so it seemed to have the same story happening.
2: Yeah, like they all I think had the same reference points, but it's like, all right. uh, Like the way I would phrase it it is like, all right, if you like Blink-182, you would probably dig grownups because they were a little faster, a little punkier. And then like, and do it over. It's like, Oh, if you like, you know, the more indie side of like your, your death cabs or your singer songwriter, like there you go. But like they all felt under the same umbrella. And I think what it took was for it to now become something that like everyone in the media is using. Is that like, You know, there became a lot more defined commonality between bands. Like I would say right now, like, you know, because these labels started to bubble up and build identities, and like as those, you know, earlier bands broke up and formed new things, like, you know, they were forming with other members of other bands, and and and, you know, they found just through doing like small tours, they would meet other people who were more interested in what they were doing, and uh, I think just through that that really happened and it had such a DIY independent backbone. You know, there were so many show houses going in the city and it like, if you wanted to, you could go to a show like, you know, every weekend and see a bunch of different touring bands and, and be blown away. You would discover your new favorite band that way, you know, just because everyone was coming up and so fresh and so young and new that like, it just kind of, uh, you know, it was exposing, I think, a lot more people to it in mass than it was, you know, during the Warped Tour days, you know, a few years earlier. Which
1: felt so, um, like, I liked Warp Tour. I saw it, you know, I mean, uh, earlier than a lot of people, you know, 97, 98 I was going. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, definitely different than the earlier, earlier ones. But those, just those, some years it just seemed... It was it was interesting. I was at Equal Vision at the time, and I was heavily into it. We had a lot of bands on it. It was in my world, yeah. and I kept thinking, "Where is that? Where where are those kids in that house show right now? Where are they?" And for you to kind of say that there was into it over, and there was snowing, doing this, and then it was all sort of happening and and organically happening, you know, in its own little tent poles. But then they all sort of came together. So it it was. It, it is interesting that we're so pushed in this one thing, like you're going to, you know, it's this kind of band, it's this kind of thing. It says that there's everything under the sun, but it's pretty forced. You know, everything mm-hmm. is the same. And it's like those kids revolted, not revolted, but they sort of were like, I'm not into that. I'm going to do that. Um, and then it just took a while for it to bubble up. Do you feel why that that's why it took till 2013? Because it just took a while for these communities and people to sort of connect more, you know, if it was the touring or if it was labels or people figuring out their instruments. Um, Well, well, I think it can be a combination of those things, and I also think it's just um, pure
2: perseverance by both bands and labels. Like, the more you see a band name or a label like Top Shelf or Kentucky Stars or any of these, like, just continually putting out stuff like and really, like, you know, putting out quality things in that in that realm, like it gets harder for people to be like, you know, to ignore that. You know, it's becoming more present. And and I think, you know, the internet it serves as a great equalizer for that is that a band can randomly get a lot of press out of nowhere and, and I think it, it's almost a trickle down. And, you know, someone a kid who found maybe the snowing record found square of opposition and then explored that and that can link them to something else. And, and I think it's still there in a slightly different way, um, similar to the mail order days. But uh, I, I think why it's a thing now is just because um, this is a brief tangent, but I was talking to a friend of mine and we were talking about labels and it's like, anymore, every band is either an emo band or a pop punk band, regardless if they really fit that classification, you know, you can, <laughs> you can put a heavy, like, A band like The Reptilian, who I would say are more Screamo influenced under the emo tag, and you can put in something that's like really quiet, like, you know, foxing and a lot more delicate, both emo bands. And, And under the pop punk thing, it's like a band like Teenage Bottle Rocket, definitely a pop punk band, but people will say things about the Wonder Years very similarly. And like, there's no commonality, but it just feels like people. Uh, found a simple way to classify that like all these bands have similar influences and like it's like alright well you do that one thing so that makes you this and, and I feel like it's very easy to qualify bands as being emo bands and I, I wouldn't say at all that it's lazy but I think like there there's certain designations that I, I think do separate like an into it over it from Empire Empire I was a lonely estate you know like they, they may have similar notes but what they're actually based in and what they're trying to do feels totally different. And I think that can, you know, in a 200 word piece that even I would write, like I can admit, like I've glossed it over and to a new listener, I understand how it's like, Oh, these are all the same. And I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a bad thing. I just think it's, it's fascinating because it feels like we're somewhat living and existing in, in a bubble for the scene, which is both good and bad as I think more people are interested and I think more people will stand by it and have been able to discover new things and old things by a a band like Braid or the Jazz Union aligning themselves with Top Shelf like for the CMJ thing you know it's I think it's I think it's still spreading organically I just feel ultimately that like you know it's it's a very difficult thing to be like All right, what's the definition of emo you know and it's going to be a fractured thing of bands that do sound alike and don't sound alike and you know I don't necessarily find that to be a bad thing because it's hopefully just getting people into really good music old and
1: new and also too it reminds me of Jade Tree because Jade Tree had so many different things and they were thrown into the sort of the same bucket you know, if it was if it was lifetime, the zero zero record, or if it was um, you know, um, uh, Joan of Arc, whatever it was, it was all or whatever it was, it was all sort of the same. Joan of Arc wasn't on J Tree. Am I am I retarded? I, I'm probably, retarded. No, yeah, they're polyvinyl. It was polyvinyl. Why but, am I thinking Joan but of Arc?
2: Well, the Captain Jazz stuff came out the yeah, the caption cap- came out in Tree.
1: but then, yeah, so like that being that, but then also having you know Lifetime, which was like a punk band, and so but it all was under the same umbrella, and so yeah. that's I think that 's sort of the top shelf for kind it's like your stars it 's like it 's all under the same umbrella, and people are sort of intersecting between each of the types of bands, and it might fall under that word, but it's it 's almost like. I I would feel bad just like if it's an equal vision record label or a, a hardcore label, every record they put out is hardcore. They're they're not. So I yeah. hope I hope Top Shelf doesn't get to that point where oh well, it's just gonna be oh well that's just an emo record even though they could be releasing a you know a record that's you know something completely different.
2: Well, and, and that's the big thing is I, I feel like these labels have built their identities and are gonna do what they feel is quality and any more. I just see something that one of those labels happens to put out as like a stamp of quality, like the same way I, I felt and do feel about no idea largely, which is another great example of a label that would put out like crazy, weird grindcore stuff like combat Wooden inventor. And, and then, you know, the early acoustic against me stuff. And, uh, you know, like, I, I respect that. Like, it would all fall, like, people would always classify it as, like, oh, it's a no-idea band. But, like, depending on who you asked, that had a different definition. And I feel like that's the same thing with emo right now is, like, a lot of people are talking about it. But I feel like you ask someone, they're like, all right, what's an emo band? They might list three or four different bands than you would. And, and, and But I think that's that's inherently good. I think it means it's a living, breathing, changing thing. Like, for a label like Top Shelf to put out, you know, the the toe records on vinyl, which are like amazingly beautiful music that I think anyone who's into I mean, post-rock or things like Mogwai would love. And It's coming out on an emo label and exposing both you know, people into post-rock and people in the emo to the other side.
1: It's funny you mentioned Mogwai. I did a DJ to show once and I played Mogwai and I, this guy came up and was like, what is this? And I told him who it was, and he was like, oh my god, this is amazing. And I was like, yeah, there's this, this, and this. If it connects, if it connects by a tour, if it connects by an artist in another band, or it connects through the sonically, or you can can see the connections to it, that's what's great about it. And I love that you say about living and breathing, because a lot of people there seems to be this sort of everyone wants to connect and say, I said it first, I'm the one that broke this and mm-hmm. it's not. And I've tried to kind of be like, it doesn't matter. It's still here. Isn't it great that people are copying, you know, mineral cause we love them or copying braid and then braid still around. Isn't that what you want instead of people saying I did this, I did that. It just seems so counter counterproductive.
2: Well, and I think one of the biggest things is, is, is exactly what you said, and I think it's it, it's really great, but I think it also, you know, Braid reactivates and, like, is putting out new music and put putting out a new full length. And, like, you know, it, it's not, like, something like the Pixies where these bands are getting back together and, like, you know, getting a paycheck. I guess, like, you could argue that in some cases, but, like, these bands are getting back into it and realizing, like, oh, like we have a scene again and like we can play with new bands and old bands and like everyone's excited about it. Like we want to do new music, like Braid's doing that. There's a new owls record. Like it doesn't. Yeah. Like it all doesn't feel like, you know, it's just like, Oh, well we're going to do this and, you know, make some money and call it a day. It's like, no, we're going to do this because this is exciting again. And, uh, uh, that's my whole thing is is it feels exciting again
1: exactly if I, if I could close my eyes and i've and i've told kevin from top shelf this i said if i closed my eyes and you didn't tell me what year it was and you and i just started talking about bands i would think it was 98 um yeah and that's to me feels like the the goal of the whole idea of like watched a BMO and everything kind of worked. And I didn't, I had maybe a small, small, small part of it, but the, the, the music came through. I was so worried that the mid two thousands, they were going to forget about Elliot, forget about, you know, jazz dune, forget about these bands. And to see it continue said to me that that music had a lot more to it than we might've known at the time.
2: Yeah, and it's it's just one of those things to listen to a lot of records from that era and just, you know, they still pull something out of me and they still feel so fresh and, and, and in some cases very heavy of their time. Like, it, it doesn't feel, because none of those bands were trying to be one another. They were just doing their own thing and finding their voice and finding commonality against other groups of people who just wanted to do their own thing. And uh, I, I think that's, really what it's, you know, putting across here is that you can be a band who writes incredibly short, you know, like, minute-long, super intricate songs in the way of, like, a band like I Kill Kill Giants was, or you can be really verbose, writing really long, nine-minute, you know, ambient interludes, and and people won't bad eye at it. And I think it's, to me, it feels really good to see a group of people, old and new, both excited and both willing to like try new things and do, no thi- do new things. And I really just hope that doesn't go away. In time. Uh,
1: the will there be a record? Will there be you know a a record or a song that will break it open even further? Or do you think it'll still be this smaller community? Not small, but you know what I mean? Like not, you know, my dad's not asking me about them. um, (laughs) Maybe your dad (laughs) is. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
2: I mean, that's a tough question to ask because I feel like there's always going to be new people coming to it. And there might always be people who, for them, this was just like a momentary thing. And that's fine. Like, you know, no judgment. Like if you were here for a year doing the house show thing and fell out of it, you know, I'm glad you were here. Um, but ultimately, I feel like it, it's going to continue to expand. Like I think these bands, um, you know, that are doing well are going to continue to grow, and or at least I very much hope they do. Like I want bands who I like or love to be able to continue to do this thing. Like, and and I hope they continue to um, push the envelope for themselves and, and for the scene, and, and, and see where it takes us. And as far as young bands, like I think they'll always they'll always be around they'll always be always be forming and they'll always be breaking up before anyone can even hear of them and then everyone will just pass around a demo tape and talk about oh did you ever hear of that band who played two shows in their basement to five people and are now hollowed ground for everybody like i think both those things will continue to happen and there is beauty and necessity in both sides of it
1: You know, last thing i wanted to mention was um was where you bought a record a day um and if people haven't checked this out go um search this out from um david's um uh, uh writings online an amazing amazing um thing um you know i'd love where'd you get the idea and um uh, how did you uh where's your bank account how much of it was free <laughs>
2: uh- well, one, thanks for the kind words and obviously uh, addressing my status as an obvious baller. Um, <laughs> but if only that were true. Uh, well, essentially what happened is at the end of 2012, like, I found myself in a little bit of a funk personally um, and was at a show with some friends and realized just how much I still loved doing all this and how much I actually love music and how important it was to me and kind of had the revelation, like, you know, if a 12 year old, 11 year old version of myself could see me now, he'd be like, dude, why are you bummed out? Like you're living your dream. You know, you're getting to write, you're working a job you like, you know, you get to go to shows and see bands. Like what about this is a bummer. And it just kind of clicked in me. Like, yeah, nothing's actually that much of a bummer. Like I will always have the records to go back to and there will always be something new that I can find, whether it be music or or any other part of life that's going to excite me. Like, So the goal was essentially just to see if it's possible, you know, to really dive into that and, and see if you can come out the other side. So it came up just with the idea of like I want to buy a record a day Partially inspired by um, listening to uh, a podcast Henry Rollins was on, where he talks about how he tries to consume something new every day, and since I've been buying like vinyl LPs, seven inches, everything in between since I was, you know, in a little kid in the late '90s because it was more cost effective at the time, I was like, "That's how I want to do it." Like, I want to be able to go into a record store and like look at cover art or, or pull out a record and be like, "Oh, I know this." label or I've heard of this band and it's used and it's $2 and I just, uh, I'm going to try it like, and just see what happened and, and not, and actually have to spend time with them, like have to listen to everyone before I would file it away or consider it owned. Like I wanted to know the inner workings of like weird, obscure punk, hardcore emo seven inches and like what deep cuts on a hollow notes record sounded like. And I was able to luckily, get a lot from both of them like there were some things i got that admittedly were not amazing but it's like well i've never actually heard taylor swift and this record's used for five dollars maybe i should buy a taylor swift record um and so i did and uh it was cool because i i feel like you know i'm not incredibly well off (laughs) but you know when it really boils down to it like if i'm able to pay my rent put a little food in my belly and like support the community and the scene that I've always cared about. Like, why would I not do that? Like there, there never appeared a time where I was like, there's no good reason not to be doing this because like in certain cases, I get to buy my friends records and like support my friends and really love this album. And, and, you know, that's worth five or $10. And, and thankfully in, in this community, there can still be, you know, $10 LPs. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was just, it was a crazy undertaking. And then kind of at the end of the year, I pitched it to some of the people here at AV and I was like, Hey, I kind of did this thing quietly. It was just for me, but I feel like I could maybe write something a little interesting about it. And, um, you know, they, they gave me the go ahead and were really, really receptive and helpful. And, uh, you know, I was really I was absolutely just floored by the feedback people gave me of, you know, bands and labels tweeting about it or posting on Facebook or, or sending me emails because that was not at all the goal. And, and, and to see that, like, man, like, these people who I was excited about their music are just as excited about, like, you know, this community and what goes on in it, like, that, that felt incredibly
1: refreshing. Yeah, I love – I mean, it was really this – it, it was like the bands being like, wow, you were doing this out of uh, just doing it on your own and you got our record. So like they almost felt like touched that you were flipping through and saw theirs and picked it out when, you know, most people are just, okay, Bandcamp, Spotify, done.
2: Yeah, and and don't get me wrong, I do, I do that for sure. But like I wanted to, uh, it was crazy to see bands who like, it's like I bought one of their records like, you know, they have one seven inch and I bought it and they would be like, Oh, this is so amazing and I'm like, You guys did the work. Like I'm just I'm just happy to have like been able to be a part of it, you know, and and I don't know, it's just it was it was nice to like approach music in the way of like as as great as something like Spotify Spotify or RDO or Bandcamp is are or whatever. Like they're great resources and they'd be great places to be like, you know, kind of get a feel for something, but there was just something very special about like you know, buying a record that I found randomly or like seeing a band at a show and like taking a chance on the recorded material and like going home, putting it on and just being truly present with it, letting it take me wherever it was going to take me, getting to look through the artwork, read the lyrics and and pay as much attention to the presentation they were trying to give me as the actual sound, like trying to get an entire look of something, which I feel is so often overlooked anymore. So yeah, um, if I guess I would tell every listener to do it if they have a spare
1: four grand just sitting around. <laughs> I like that.